0: This Christ is a lion. He is mighty, powerful, royal, and holy. He is clothed in splendor. He is radiant in glory. He speaks with power. And He has conquered the grave. And yet we will see that this is not the only true glimpse of Christ. That was a very true glimpse of Christ. But there's more, and I want to share that with you tonight. As we will see in our passage, Jesus Christ is also a lamb. Now, when I say the word lamb, it probably brings a picture to your mind. What is a lamb like? Someone tell me. What's a lamb like? Fluffy. That was actually the first word that came to my mind. Fluffy. Go ahead. Shout it out. shout it out. Yeah. What did you say? Helpless, helpless, defenseless. Yeah, what is it? Ball. What? Ball? Small. Oh, small. Okay. Well, I mean, I was like, well, if you don't shave them for a while, they probably turn into a ball. What else is lamb like? White. That's right. Yes. Cute and cuddly. That's right. Gentle. That's a good one. Loud. Loud. Wow. Annoying. <laughs> Dirty. Dirty some some sheep are uh, are quite dirty some lambs are dirty anyways obviously some of these descriptions are a little more accurate to the nature of Jesus than others i wouldn't though you can call a lamb dirty i wouldn't call jesus dirty <laughs> in isaiah 53 we get a glimpse of this lamb what is he like how does he act how does he react what is his nature what is his appearance what does he do And we're going to start in Isaiah 53, verse 1. And I'm going to read it. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, this lamb, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, of pain. Acquainted with deepest grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. This lamb was despised. And we esteemed him not We did not care. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, punished, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him... Was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned, every one of us, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on the lamb the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. He opened not. His mouth By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave and row house you know, with the wicked, with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, this is an amazing statement, you can underline this. It was the will of the Lord. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That is amazing. Let's pray. Lord, be with us this night. Make your word clear to us. Let it be received in faith. Let it fall on fertile hearts. Ready to be changed and humbled by your word. Be with us this night. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, ever since Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God promised that he would send forth a deliverer, a rescuer, a redeemer. And this redeemer would crush the power of the serpent, as it was said in Genesis 3.15. And for hundreds of years, even thousands of years, God's people, the nation of Israel, were waiting for this Redeemer. They were saying, Lord, how long? How long until you send this Redeemer? Yet the mistake came in their understanding of the appearance of this Deliverer, of this Redeemer. They expected this powerful ruler that was going to lead them to victory against the armies, against the nations around him. They expected to be delivered from earthly oppressors. They were anticipating the Messiah to be dressed in splendor, to be radiant in glory, to speak with power, and to conquer their enemies. In short, they were expecting a lion. But the depiction that we find in our passage shows essentially the opposite of that not a king, but a servant, not a lion but a lamb. The glimpse that we got last night of the lion of the glory and majesty is the Jesus that is reigning in heaven right now. But the glimpse that we get tonight is of the lamb who walked on this earth. The first thing we see in this lamb is that number one, he was lowly in appearance. The lamb was lowly in appearance. When Jesus was born into this world, how did he enter? He entered through a young woman named Mary, who was very poor. And she was also a lot younger than we tend to imagine. She wasn't a 19-year-old new bride. She was probably 13 or 14 years old, which is younger than many of you girls in this room. 13 or 14 years old. And this is the one that the Lord said, you will bear my son, the son of God. And this lady did not come from a wealthy family. It did not come from much. She did not come from a prestigious group of people or a prestigious line. But instead, it came from this poor woman, Mary. We also see this in even the place that he was born. In the physical location. When Jesus was born, he was not born in the presidential suite of Javon Bay Hospital, okay? He was born in the lowest. Not even in a place fit for humans. In fact, in a a place fit for animals in a stable. More specifically, he was laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough. The king of kings was born as a baby, fully dependent upon his mother's protection. Like verse 2 says this says, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't come from a rich people, soil, background. He came like a root out of dry ground. And this was not a reality that just happened in his birth, but it actually continued all the way throughout his life. Jesus was lowly. Jesus never lived in luxury. Matthew 8.20 says this, This is Jesus speaking. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What he's saying is, I don't have a home. I don't have a bed to call my own. I don't have a place that is my comfort spot. That would be hard for us. How could you function and do the work of God without a house, without a place to call home, while being homeless. But it was no accident that the Son of God was homeless. In turning water to wine, producing a miraculous catch of fish for His disciples, even in healing the sick and the lame, Jesus demonstrated that He had infinite power. There was no limit to the power that Jesus had. Is it not remarkable to you that Jesus Doesn't use this power to make his life more comfortable. Have you ever thought of that? He could have snapped his bed, snapped his fingers, and had a king size bed at his disposal, purple mattress and all, but he didn't. He could have given himself an Amazon gift card with a hundred billion dollars on it and just rang that puppy up, but he didn't. It sounds silly, but it's true. There's no physical comfort that Jesus could not have had if he wanted it. He willingly forwent it, forsaked it. Jesus chose to be lowly in appearance. Verse 2 continues to say that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Student, do you not marvel that the king of glory would submit himself to such a low, low Place. He was made like us. If the teenage Jesus would be in this room right now, his face would not be glowing. He probably wasn't the best basketball player or the elite paintballer or the champion of the high ropes course. He was average in his appearance. He was normal. He was run of the mill in how he looked. And the crowds that we hear about, that we read about in the Gospels, which maybe you're thinking of right now, and you're like, well, people like Jesus, they follow him, right? Well, the crowds that followed Jesus weren't after Jesus as a person. They were after the fact that he could feed them and heal them. That's what they wanted. They wanted physical blessings from Jesus, and they knew he just gave them freely out. And so they said, well, I want to I take part in that. I want to be close to this guy because he's going to help me out. But as he selected, as Jesus selected his disciples and his closest associates, the ones that were nearest to him were very unpopular. Some of them came from a religious background, but actually didn't care about God. Some of them were known sinners and they were bad people, according to the world's standards. Some of them were just common average Joes, but none of them were crowd pleasers. None of them were the The highest of society. But the common denominator that we see even in these disciples is that they just wanted to be with Jesus. This provides us an opportunity to reflect on our own. student, if you come to Jesus because he is convenient, I pray that he would become inconvenient to you. Because if we're coming to Jesus because he helps us and he gets us out of a certain situation, we're no different than the crowds who followed him because he fed them. I'm thankful for Redeemer, for Redeemer students, for the families that faithfully send their kids here through these doors. And I'm so thankful that God has blessed us with people that pour out and encourage you guys to pursue the Lord. But what it means to follow Jesus is not to gain a standing with the people around us. It never was. In fact, it's actually to lose standing from the people around us. Because when we submit our lives to Jesus, we are saying, God, I surrender to you. Make me as lowly as you see fit. I remember hearing this line from a preacher that always just sticks into my heart and He walks up on stage, and in his prayer, he says this. He says, Lord, if I look like a fool and you look glorified, if you look great, that's a win. That's what I want. And I pray that that would be your heart, your prayer, that you would walk into a small group, that you would walk into your school, that you would walk onto your sports team and say, Lord, if I look like a fool, but you look good, I can rest in that. Because my life is not my own, and I long to let Jesus use it. If we want to be like Jesus, we do not even view youth group as a place where we can grow in popularity, but it's an opportunity to serve others. Matthew twenty three eleven says that the greatest among you shall be servant of all. Jesus emulated this. He was lowly in appearance. My second point is that he suffered as a servant. Jesus, the Lamb, was lowly in appearance. And he suffered as a servant. Now suffering is not something that we naturally enjoy. The pain, the hardship, the affliction, the sadness is not typically something that you and I wake up hoping to meet in our day. Right? I've never woken up and thought, man, I hope I'm really sad today. Never been there. We in fact trying to limit our risks, our exposure to these things by being selective with our friend group. By not entrusting ourselves to our parents. By running away from conflict instead of stepping towards it. And by building walls around our hearts to prevent people from coming in. When things in our lives are hard, we often try to find a way out before anything else. And some of you are more naturally resilient to the situations in life. Some of you are maybe more mentally tough than others. But all of our resilience pairs in comparison to the Lamb of God. Jesus possessed power beyond our ability to comprehend. He was strong and yet tender. And when he suffered hardship, he didn't push people away, but move towards them. And when he endured pain, he didn't speak up and defend himself, but submitted himself to the will of God. Why didn't he escape the pain, the hardship? Why not? Well, before I answer that, you see in this passage that Jesus did not just bear his own hardship, his own pain. He has borne the burdens of others. Look at verse 4. I need to turn my page. He says this, surely this lamb has borne our griefs, not just his. He has carried our Sorrows, not just his. Verse 6 adds that the Lord has laid on this lamb the iniquity of us all. Some of you have borne burdens for other people before. You know, maybe you have a friend that's going through a hard time, a hard season, whatever. And you walk alongside them and you help them, and you are a shoulder to cry on, you're an encouragement in the right direction. But it's still hard. You still have to sacrifice. You still have to give of yourself, of your time, of your energy, even of your prayers to petition for them. This is great when we do this, when we be like Christ in this way. But in that situation, your friend is usually asking for help or at least wanting help. Right? There's a a willingness to accept it. But have you ever borne the burden of someone... That didn't want your help. That didn't care about your help. Have you ever helped someone at your own expense when they don't even care to receive it? That's a lot harder than caring for someone who asks. Now, let's add to that. Have you ever helped someone who did not ask for it and does not deserve it? Imagine who is a person who is rude, rebellious, mean, unthankful. And you see them, and they need help. This person, when you ask if they want help, they refuse it. They laugh at the idea that they need help, and they spite you for asking. Would you want to bear their burdens? Would you want to take on their weights? Student, you and I are this person, and we are truly much worse than a rude, rebellious, unthankful human being. Read verse six with me. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We are naturally unthankful for Jesus' work, and we do not recognize what that means. In fact, even when we hear the statement, Jesus died for you, doesn't move us. That's what verse three reveals. He was despised, and yet we esteemed him not. We didn't care. That he was despised. This Jesus the lamb suffered mightily. He was rejected scorned mocked. And at verse 8 tells us. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was separated from God. To answer my question. Why didn't Jesus escape his burden. Escape this burden that was upon his shoulders. It was so that he could suffer as a servant. He submitted his life to his father in heaven. Willingly. No matter what that meant. Let's look at verse 10 with me. Look at verse 10 with me. Told you to underline this verse. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It was the will of the Lord. More literally, it was the pleasure of the Lord to crush. More literally, to obliterate his son. This is a very vivid picture here god was pleased to destroy his son he was happy to do that but ezekiel 33:11 says as i live declares the lord god i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked should turn from his way and live god has no pleasure in the death of the wicked and yet he has pleasure in the death of his son that makes no sense That can't be right. The one who has done no wrong suffers the wrath. Why? How? Well, there's a divine purpose in the suffering of the lamb. And there is a reason that he endured through the suffering, though it was not just. And God the Father is pleased with the work of the lamb. Because number three, it has united us with God. Look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. See what and be satisfied, you should ask? See his death accomplish its purpose. What's its purpose? If we continue in verse 11, the righteous one will make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain. So that all who look to him in faith may be accounted righteous. They can be counted as right with God. Student, have you trusted in this Jesus, in this Lamb? If you have, your sins are forgiven. Your debt is paid in full. Not lacking any payment The greatest need that your soul has ever had, even more than the breath in your lungs and the blood in your veins, your need to be right with God is satisfied through the Lamb. Jesus Christ, the mighty, powerful, royal lion, was crushed so that you wouldn't have to be. Because if God is just, He must punish sin. And if God does not punish sin, he is not a good God. But if we ever have any hope of being drawn near to this holy God, we must have our sins paid for. When we become a child of God, a child of the Lamb, it frees us. And you no longer have to live for the approval of your friends or of your parents or of the girl you like, or of the boy you like. Now, we have been freed, we have been paid for, we have been accepted into the eternal family, and you are a son and a daughter of God, of the one with infinite riches and infinite power, and who has not only the, the ability, but who actually works all things according to your good. For the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. This is good news. And this helps us. And it reminds us that the life that we used to cling to as our own, selfishly pursuing the things of this world, as if this is all that it is. Now, we yield it to God who has a far better plan for your life than you or me could ever come up with. If you have trusted in Jesus, even this retreat becomes a way not to bring glory to yourself, but to God, to taste and to see that He is good. And I want to go one more place. Give you your Bibles, flip to the last book of the Bible Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. And the reason that I want to go here. Is because we see these two amazing realities come together the lion and the lamb. Revelation chapter 5. And as we're entering into this text, you need to know that this is a continuation of the vision that happened last night, that we talked about last night in Revelation 1. Same man, this is John. Beholding the same God in heaven, in the throne, on the throne. And he says this in verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? He looks at the scroll and he says, there has to be someone who is worthy to open it. But no one is worthy. That is the problem. No one in verse three in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John in heaven begins to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll. In heaven, the angel points to the lion who is powerful and mighty, who reigns, who is able to open this scroll. And the picture turns and John says this in verse six between the throne And these living creatures that are glorifying God, and among all of the elders who are also seated around God, I saw a lion? No. I saw a lamb. And what did this lamb look like? He was standing as though it had been slain. The lion is the lamb, and the lamb is standing with wounds his hands because he was nailed upon the cross on our behalf and the lamb in verse seven went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll all of the creatures have instruments verse nine and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll To open the seals for you were slain, Jesus. You were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom. Priests to our God. And then get this. I love this picture. All of these people in heaven, these creatures in heaven are worshipping this lamb. And then it zooms out. And John sees a hundred million burning angels on fire because of the presence of the glorious splendor of the God who is seated before him. And they behold him and they see him as he truly is the lion reigning on the throne. And all of these creatures sing with one voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then not only heaven, but every creature in heaven and on earth, all of you and under the earth. Shout with a loud voice to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor. And glory and might. Forever and ever. This is where we see the lion. Who reigns and rules. Become the lamb. For you. For all who would believe. And put their trust in the work of this lion. Who has died on your behalf. And the glorious truth that comes with that. Is that we will be in that ceremony looking at the lion become lamb and singing for the rest of eternity, for the next hundred million years and beyond. Praises of him who has conquered. That is good news, student. If I could have the band come on up. And we will pray. We will go to the Lord in prayer. God, Truly, Your Word is far too wonderful for us to comprehend, far too great for us to admire as we ought to. Lord, and we live in mortal bodies that are going to die and pass away, and we don't know when our death is going to be, we don't know how long we have on this earth, we don't know if we are going to not wake up tomorrow. And Lord, I know how easy it is to assume that we will have many, many years to make the right decision, to clean up our acts, to make good choices. And... Lord, that is not the right thought. And I pray even now as I speak that the students find themselves in that right now, that you would awaken their eyes to see that you are the lion and the lamb, and you have come and conquered and were slain for them. And Lord, I ask that you would stir up these students to know you, to understand the surpassing love of God, which goes beyond our knowledge and our ability to know, to comprehend. Lord, but that they would be encouraged to know that when they put their trust in Jesus, they are given the Holy Spirit, the guarantee, the down payment of our future inheritance, where we will sit with you enjoying you forever. Enjoying you more than sports. Enjoying you more than entertainment. Enjoying you more than friends. Enjoying you more than paintball, God. We will enjoy you forever. God, we are dependent upon you. We need you. We need you to stir our hearts to love what is right. To turn from the things of this world. Because they are worthless. They will die, God. But you will never die. You reign forever. Would you set our affections, our hopes, and our joys upon that truth? Would you lift our eyes to see the man of sorrows? who died on our behalf. And would you fill us with joy when we see him? In Jesus' name, amen.